Good morning and welcome back to the Daily Bible Reading Show. This message is called Confessions of a Church Musician. Confessions of a Church Musician based on Psalm 73. What is the biggest challenge playing on the music team? Is it playing new and unfamiliar songs or playing the same songs again and again? Or maybe it's playing in front of other people, especially at combined services uh, with the aunties and uncles from the Chinese congregation. For me, the biggest adjustment was playing in a group, playing with other musicians who were real pros. That was stressful. What about you? What has been the biggest challenge since joining the church music team? Keep that in question. Uh, keep that question in mind as we turn to Psalm 73, which is a song written by a musician named Asaph. In fact, we know from 1 Chronicles 16 that Asaph was appointed by King David to be in charge of all the musicians. He was the worship leader in charge of all the priests who worship God before the Ark of the Covenant built during the time of Moses. And you will notice that Psalm 73, together with Psalms 74, 75, all the way to Psalm 83, were all written by Asaph, meaning he was a songwriter too. Here in Psalm 73, he says, Surely, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had almost nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I call Psalm 73 Confessions of the Church Musician. Why? Because in verse 2, he confesses, my feet had almost slipped. He's not talking about playing the wrong chord or reading the wrong verse. No, he is confessing, honestly admitting that he doesn't feel like worshiping God today. How can you say that, Asaph? You are the worship leader. Notice verse 1, surely God is good. To Israel. And that expression, surely, happens three times in the passage. It's like crikey if you're British, or wah if you're Chinese, or aigu if you're Korean. Asaph says, surely, three times in verses 1, 13, and 18 to give us three honest confessions. He gives us three honest reflections as a church musician. He tells us what he knows, what he feels, and what is true. That's what we are looking at today. What he knows, what he feels, and what is true. Firstly, what he knows. Right from the beginning, Asaph knows that God is good. Asaph knows that God deserves our worship. But... When he looks at this world, what Asaph knows and what Asaph sees are two different things. I know that God blesses his people. But when I look at the world, verse 4, 
they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. I know that God loves the pure in heart, but verse seven, from their callous hearts comes iniquity, the evil conceits of their minds know no limits. I know that God will judge the wicked, but verse eight, they scoff and speak with malice in their arrogance. They threaten oppression. What Asaph knows doesn't line up with what Asaph sees. But here's the confession. Asaph is tempted to worship what he sees, not what he knows about God. Even though it's wrong, Asaph is tempted to follow wicked men rather than to worship a good God. Verse 2, But as for me, my feet had almost slipped, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. You might say, how can you let such a person become the worship leader? But friends, Asaph knows what worship means. Do you know? Worship means giving to God what he is worth, literally worth ship. It's talking about worth. It's talking about value or like a price tag. You know, there are some restaurants where you go in and the menu has no prices. Instead, you order the food and at the end, you pay what you think, you know, that chicken or that salad was worth. Our worship of God is a direct reflection of what God is worth in our lives. Meaning worship is not about singing or giving money. It's much more than that. Christians believe that God is worth our whole lives and therefore our worship is 24-7. Paul says that in Romans 12, offer up your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. It means you can worship God in church and at work while you're eating your breakfast or taking the bus to school, your whole life belongs to God. And therefore everything you do, everything you say and think is about being thankful to God and giving him all the glory that he's due. At least that's what Christians are called to do in their worship. But when Asaph looks at the world, they think they owe God nothing. They think God is worth nothing. Instead, they live, they live their lives to worship their wealth, their health, their status. Verse four, their bodies are healthy and strong, meaning they go to the gym. Verse six, pride is their necklace, meaning they dress to impress. And he confesses, honestly, I was tempted. Why? Because in verse nine, Asaph sees a different kind of worship leader, you know, one who is popular, but one who leads people away from God. Verse nine, their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. 
when it says their people turn to them, it could be talking about how popular these worship leaders are in the world. It might also mean God's people. God's people are turning to them. And that's worrying because in verse 11, they say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? Meaning who cares about God? He's not going to do anything about this. Finally, Asaph concludes verse 12. This is what the wicked are like, always carefree. They increase in wealth. What was Asaph tempted to do? To do evil? No. To be wicked? No. But to be comfortable, to be popular. You see, the world offers us another way to worship, one that is attractive, one that really works. Friends, it's saying that it is possible to love worship, but to hate God. It is possible to do evil, but to look good. When you turn on the TV, when you check Facebook, this world is worshiping 24-7. The question is whether they're worshiping God with our lives, with our time, with our money, or are we worshiping money, our time, our lives as our God? Asaph says, honestly, I was tempted to do the latter. That's what he knows. But next he tells us what he feels. And in verse 13, what he feels like doing is giving up, giving up. Verse 13, surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been plagued. I've been punished every morning. Have you ever had one of those bad days when all you want to do is stay at home, watch Netflix, eat junk food? Not, not a bad thing in and of itself. But what if you're the worship leader and you're supposed to get up and lead worship that morning? What if you're the pastor, you're supposed to preach that morning? Asaph doesn't feel like going to church today. He feels guilty about it. He says, all day long, I've been plagued. But most of all, he feels like giving up. Surely in vain, I've kept my heart pure. But then he says, verse 15, if I had said, I, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. He's saying, when I step up to the mic, people are listening. You need to be responsible as a worship leader. What you say reflects not just who you are, but who God is. Now, I don't think Asaph is saying you must be dishonest. Otherwise, he wouldn't have written Psalm 73, confessing all his struggles as a church musician. Psalm 73 is actually a song, meaning they would have sung these words in church. But he is saying that the times when you are depressed and the times when you're tempted to say things that are hurtful and untrue about God, he says, and I would have betrayed your children, he says. Be extra careful about saying things on behalf of God that God isn't saying in his word. You know, things such as God isn't good or God doesn't care. That's not true. And, and you know it's not true. And as leaders of God's people, we must be careful about speaking words and singing words that go against the truth of God's word. 
Yet at the same time, Asaph is conflicted. You know, he's burdened with guilt. You know, what does he do? Verse 16, when I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me until, until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. He tried, you know, figuring it out on his own. He said, I tried to understand all this, but it just got worse. You know, has that ever happened to you? You're stressed out about playing on Sunday. You're stressed out about your presentation. So you stay up all night practicing and working, which is a great thing to do. Don't get me wrong. But at the end of all that hard work, you end up getting more stressed. Sorry, there's a fire alarm going on outside. <laughs> getting more stressed. <laughs> Still going on. <laughs> Serving God is not something you can do with your own strength. Wow, it's, it's really, really going on. Usually it's only like a minute. Let's give it a while. Okay, maybe it's not, not a test. I'm going to have to cut this out. <laughs> oh, extra long today. Is there really a fire going on? Hmm, this is unusual. Okay, I think I might need to go outside now. I think it, there's really a fire. <laughs> okay, I'm going to have to stop this. Okay, sorry. Goodbye. Okay, all right. So that was interesting. The fire alarm uh, finally stopped. I couldn't hear my neighbors uh, leaving their homes, but I think they've gone back inside now. So I'm going to pick up where I left off. Um, where was it? You know, serving God, serving God. So serving God is not something you can do with your own strength. The more you try, the more stressed out, the more frustrated you will get. Even an experienced worship leader like Asaph forgot this. He tried to figure it out on his own when only one thing could ever change things. Until I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. It is so obvious, and yet we forget this. Only God can help us when we have a problem with God. It's so obvious. And yet most of us, when you have a problem with God, you stay away. And when things get tough in ministry, we stop serving. When things get tough in church, we stay at home uh, thinking, you know, I'll try to figure this out on my own, you know, and what happens is, is it always gets worse. Uh, why? Because when your problem is God, you cannot solve it without God. Let me put it another way. There are times when you will not feel like worshiping God. What should you do? Worship God. There are times when you will not feel like being with God's people. When you feel like taking a break from church, what should you do? Come to church. And you say, wow, that's crazy. You know, No, that's what Asaph is saying to us right now. It won't work trying to sort out a problem you have with God by being by yourself. 
You cannot fix a relationship by breaking a relationship. Asaph is saying it's not just about you. Your worship before God affects your relationship with others, especially if you're responsible for them as a leader. And at the heart of it, your worship of God flows from your own relationship with God. So when you don't feel like worshiping God, worship God anyway. You can say to him, as Asaph says, Asaph does in the Psalm, you know, my feet are slipping. It doesn't make sense. I'm tempted to follow the world, not your word. You can say that to God. You can come near to God. And the promise is this, he will come near to you. That's from James chapter four, verse eight. He will come near to you. Which brings us to our final point, the final surely in verse 18. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. Now, what is your favorite love song? You know, the guys will say, I don't listen to love songs. <laughs> well, for some, it's Ed Sheeran's Thinking Out Loud. You know, I can't remember how this goes. Darling, I'll be loving you till we're 70. For others, it's a classic like Whitney Houston's, I will always love you. <laughs> Do you notice how many love songs have words like eternal and forever? Everyone. Everyone wants a love song that will last forever. You know, that's eternal. But here in the last section, Asaph says, they're nothing but fantasies. Verse 20, as a dream, when one awakes, so when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. These love songs are beautiful, yes. And they're wonderful, yes. But they are untrue. You can sing them until you're blue in your face, but they're nothing but fantasies. But the songs that we are singing today were all based on God's truth. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. It's talking about Jesus who was cleft, who was cut, who was killed for me. And we are saying, let me hide myself in you, Jesus. His death opens up the way for me to receive his life. That is the kind of truth that speaks of eternity, not just wishful thinking. Therefore, when we long for the world's fantasies, which will one day fade away, which God will one day judge and completely wipe away, we're being short-sighted. We're being foolish. Verse 21 when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Previously, Asaph was so focused on the world. They have no struggles. They're free from burdens. Their mouth lay claim to heaven. Then he was focused on himself. I've been plagued and I tried to understand this. It was oppressive to me. But... It's only when he started looking to God that he realizes it's not about me. It's about you, Lord. Verse 23. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. 
here's the thing. God allows us to go through this process to realize just how much He loves us. The difficulties, the doubts, they're all part of God's plan to do what? To strip away everything else from our lives that, such that only He is left in our sight. The bad things as well as the good things, one by one, God allows them to be stripped away until we realize that the only permanent thing we have is Him. Verse 25, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. It's like fasting. Fasting, you know, Muslims all over the world began fasting this week. Well, when I wrote this, began fasting this week as part of Ramadan, abstaining from food and drink. But Christians fast, not because of Ramadan, and we do not fast because we're trying to cut down on carbs and chocolate. Rather, when we fast as Christians, we're putting aside things which are good, food and water, which we need to survive. You know, we would die without food and water. And we're saying to God, you are more important to me than food. You are more precious to me than my life. Asaph says to God, nothing in heaven and nothing on earth is more important to me than you. How can he say this honestly and truly? Because his heart is failing him, because his flesh is failing him. Verse 26 can and probably should be read in the present tense. My flesh and my heart is failing, meaning right now my body is breaking down. I am physically restrained. Right now my depression is acting up. But God is the strength of my heart. The only thing that's keep me, keeping me going is you. As a church musician, as a servant of God, that actually brings glory to God. You know, when others look at you and they don't see your gifts, they do not praise you for playing so skillfully on the guitar, on the piano this morning, but they say to you, I clearly see that God is working through you. Our weakness makes God's strength easier to see in our lives. You know, by all means, you know, worship God with your gifts, but never forget, you can also worship God with your grief. You can worship God with your weakness. So in conclusion, Asaph knows that God is good. He's known this all his life, you know, from Sunday school, from church. He knows this. And yet Asaph feels like giving up. <laughs> my feet had almost slipped. In vain, I've kept my heart pure, he says. His heart is failing him. He feels like giving up. But in the end, God reminds Asaph of what is true, what is eternal. He holds him by his right hand. He guides him with his counsel. He strengthens him in his weakness. Verse 27, those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I've made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell 
of all your deeds. The only difference between the music team and the congregation, the only difference between song leader and the song led is this, the privilege to tell of all his deeds. You're leading God's people to praise God for who he is and for all that he has done. He is the only true and eternal God. He is holy. He hates evil. And one day he will judge the world in righteousness and truth through Jesus Christ, destroying all who are far from him and unfaithful to him. He has sent his son to die for your sins, taking it upon himself, bearing our judgment on the cross. Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, conquering sin, death, and the devil. All who trust in him receive full forgiveness and new life that is indestructible and conformed to the image of the Son of God. These are truths about God that are eternal, that are fully revealed in his word to us, that we as musicians, as song leaders, as Sunday school teachers, as pastors, as Bible study leaders, we have that great privilege to speak, to teach, and remind one another here in the Chinese church. So know this truth, love this truth. And with all your heart, sing this truth with faithfulness and boldness to the glory of our Savior and God, Jesus Christ. Um, that was um, Confessions of a Church Musician based on Psalm 73. Yeah, uh, thanks for listening. Sorry about the fire alarm <laughs> this morning. Shows you this, this, is, this is live, this is real. And take care. God bless. Bye.